Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. I'm excited to have Root River Kids with us this morning. Kids, good to see your smiling faces. I'm glad that you have made your way downstairs this morning to celebrate family worship service with us. As most of you already know, we've been working our way through right relationships that develop as a result of being filled or led or thrust forward by the Holy Spirit. And so over the last several weeks, we've spent some time on right husband-wife relationships. And then last week, we actually took a bit of a departure through our progression through the book of Ephesians, and we moved into verses 5 through 9 in chapter 6, where we looked at right relationships between employees and employers. And today we're going to step back, kids, and we're going to go back to verses 1 through 4, where we're going to find out what the Bible has to say about right relationships between children and their parents. This is why I wanted to make sure that our kids were with us this morning, because the Bible talks very specifically about right relationships between children and their parents, and you're going to find this very valuable. But I recently read a study produced by researchers at Stanford University, which I found very, very fascinating. I'm sure that you'll get a kick out of this. Researchers surveyed many children through the early years of life, tracking and even charting their language development. And it was interesting because research found that children begin to speak somewhere between 10 and 11 months of age. And it seems that uh, girls commonly speak at a younger age than boys, and they speak more often. Men, hold those jokes to yourselves. But sh- <laughs> but what was interesting to me is that boys and girls both shared the most commonly spoken first words. And do you know what the most commonly spoken first word is among babies? It's daddy, believe it or not. It's daddy. I know moms, that, that stings a little bit, but it's dad. And, but mom soon follows. So first dad usually, and then mom. And, and then there are also some commonly spoken words at an early age. You might hear the baby say the word cat. That was a pretty common one. And, uh, or some variations of the word bottle or the word drink. But as I read through the list, I continued through the top ten, and I'm going to tell you that I was really not all that surprised to find that the one word that ranked more consistently in the top ten than any other outside the top five was the word no. Isn't that something? The word no. And if you've ever had any experience with young toddlers, you're probably not surprised to hear that no is one of the very first words that they learn. And what happens then is as the child masters the word no and and he begins to grow, so does his proficiency with using the word no. Have you ever noticed that? I had a niece one time who learned the word no at a very early age, and then she learned to accompany the word no with a finger wagging when she said it. And so as and as any good uncle, I got a kick out of that. And so she'd be babbling along, and then she'd point her finger at me, and she'd say, no, no, no. And so my job as an uncle was to get her to say that and do that as often as possible, right? Like any good uncle, so that's what I did. But as a parent, I've watched as the word no advance beyond the cute little finger pointing and the finger wagging. And as a parent, I've watched as my children began to develop, and I noticed that as their lungs continue to develop, the cute little no becomes a little bit more of a shout. In fact, sometimes it's even accompanied by a temper tantrum and just full-out screaming. Have you ever seen that kid? I swear he's at every grocery store I ever go to. And so what happens then is they learn very quickly that they are going to tell the parent no. 
And they learn how to do it with a great deal of passion, and they learn how to do it with a great deal of proficiency. In fact, sometimes they'll start to run away from their parent, or, or maybe, I like this one, maybe when the child is corrected and told no, he deliberately does just the opposite of what he was told to test the boundaries and to see what the parent is going to do about it. And I can remember when our two oldest kids were toddlers, if my oldest boy needed to be corrected and I told him no, his sister would instantly do the very thing that I had told her older brother not to do. She just did. And Beth and I remember looking at each other and just saying, man, what is, where does that come from? What is that? Why is she doing the very thing that she knows that she heard us correct her brother for doing? But the no becomes even more and more sophisticated. And by the time they're teenagers' parents, the no is usually accompanied by eye rolling. You get that one? And sometimes eye rolling isn't enough until they have to roll the whole head. Have you noticed that? <sighs> you laugh because you know it's true, don't you? Or maybe it's the body language that the teenager learns to give to you. But it is something that they learn early enough between the ages of 10 and 11 months, and they just continue to work on that, don't they? And they continue to perfect that, and they get really good at it. And I'm here to tell you that it really doesn't stop because at my age, I still do the same thing. And it really doesn't stop until we're old and gray, and, and I don't know that it even stops then. But I want you to know that there's a good reason for that. Do you know that? Parents, there's a good reason that your children talk to you like that. There's a good reason that your children tell you no and roll their eyes and roll their heads and point their fingers and run away. And the reason that the child does that is because your child is sinful. Did you know that? There's a reason that a little girl would deliberately do the very thing that her older brother had just been corrected for. There's a reason for the exaggerated eye roll and head roll of the teenager. Psalm 58, 3 and 4 says this, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from when? From birth. They go astray from birth. They're speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent under their tongues. So how long does it take? I just want to ask you, parents, how long does it take for a child to learn how to lie? And the answer is not very long. Have you noticed that? Did you know that most kids begin to lie at the age of three? At the age of three, they begin to lie. And once again, just like saying the word no, they, begin, they continue to perfect that for their entire lives. Why? Because they're born with a sinful nature and they begin going astray from the moment that they are born. And lying is just an expression of that sinful nature and lying is just evidence that their sinful nature is trying to drag this child astray. That's what it is. David said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You see, the problem is, kids, and you should write this one down, when people are born, they are born sinful. Kids, when people are born, they are born sinful. And David recognized that. David recognized that he was sinful from the very time of his conception. And from the very beginning, his sinful nature wanted to rule him. His sinful nature wanted to control him, just like you and just like me. When he was brought forth from the womb, the very day that he was born, he had this bent towards sin. Do you see? He had this tendency towards sin. I think about it. You think about a, a new cell phone. You get this new cell phone and you take it out of the box, and when you turn the thing on, it has a few programs that are just there, right? They're just programmed into the phone when you take it right out of the box. And I just want you to know that's kind of how it is with kids. You take your kid out of the hospital, you bring him home, and they are just pre-programmed with sin and rebellion built right in. 
It's just there. It's one of those, and you, sometimes you want to hit the factory reset, but it still doesn't go away. It's still there. That sin is built right in. And I want you to know that's how it is with kids. The little child who shouts no at his parents, the teenager who constantly lies and rolls his eyes at his parents, all they're doing is manifesting the truth that they are born rebellious. That's all they're doing. They're just bearing out the truth that they are born rebellious. Lying to the parent is rebellion. Saying no to the parent is rebellion. And it's pre-programmed into the DNA and into the nature of your child. Yet with all of that truth, and all of the pain of dealing with rebellion, do you know that Psalm 127 tells us that our children are a heritage from the Lord? Our children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward. And the man who has a whole bunch of them, the Bible says, is particularly blessed. Children, I want you to understand this. Children, you are a blessing to your parents. Children are a blessing to their parents. So I think the question is, how do we get the child from a place of rebellion to a place that he is a blessing to his parents? Isn't that the question? How do we get the child from the burden of rebellion to the blessing of good behavior before his parents? And the answer is found in our passage for today. And this is the verse I would like to ask all of you to memorize. And parents, you might do well to memorize this as well this morning, although I want you to know you're not getting a prize for it next week. But this is what it says, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. So let's follow along with me. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so this morning I would like to begin by introducing you to two commands that you're going to find in this passage here that Paul gives us two very clear commands. And as I've mentioned to you recently, both of these commands are in what we would call the present active imperative, which, as you know, gives us a sense of ongoing or continual action. So it would be like this. The two commands are to continually obey or to continually honor. So kids, the Bible commands us to obey and to honor our parents. The Bible commands us to obey and to honor our parents. And so what Paul is saying is, children, be continually obeying. Be continually honoring your parents. The command to obey is the one that we've seen before. It's the one that says, and it means that you are to fall in line underneath. You are to underhear is the word. It means that you are to fall under the instruction. You are to listen closely to their instruction. You are to hear it. You are to process it. And you are to obey it. And so So what it means is that children are to put themselves under the instruction of their parents. Listen, kids, you are to submit to the instruction of your parents. You are to submit to the speaking and the words of your parents. You are to line yourselves up under the parent and you are to hear and observe their teaching. And not only are you to do it, it's supposed to be a pattern of life for you. It's not the rare exception when you're having a good day. It's a pattern of life. You should be continually obeying and listening to the instruction of your parents. You should be continually listening to them and obeying them. But once again, I want you to know that it's not a command that's open for interpretation. You don't get to pick and choose which commands you're going to follow and which commands you're not going to follow. You don't get to choose which instruction you like and don't like and obey only those things. But it is a clear and concise command from Scripture which tells you if your parents tell you to do something, do it. Is that plain enough? If your parents tell you to do something and it is not against the teaching and the principles of Scripture, do it. 
That is the clear instruction from Scripture. Your parents tell you, you respond by obeying and doing what you're told. As we mentioned several weeks ago, God is the author of order. God created order, and all of His created works are designed with a particular order, and the family is not any different than any of the other. In the family, the children are to be submissive to, and they are to be obedient to the parents because the parents have a place of authority over them in God's design. So I know that it's not always tasteful to you, but as a child, if your family, if your parents tell you to do something, the clear command of Scripture is that you are to do it. And if you're a child who says to yourself, well, Scripture tells me that I have to obey, and so I will, but Scripture doesn't tell me that I have to like it. And you're right, it doesn't. Scripture tells me that I have to obey, so I'm going to do that, but... My parents are going to hear just how stupid it is for them to expect me to do this. I'm going to get that out there. I will obey them, but my parents are clueless. I will do what they say, but they don't understand. You see, I'm smarter than my mom and dad. I know better how to raise a child than they do. My parents don't even know. And if that's you, I'm sure you're going to really be blessed by the second command. You'll find this one particularly valuable, so let's move on to that one. And this is what it says, that you must be continually honoring your parents. You see, not only are you to continually obey them, but you are to be continually honoring them. And this is a really interesting Greek word. It's the word timao, and you see it very commonly in Greek literature referring to the worship of a particular god. In fact, it's where we get our name Timothy, Timo, which is I worship, and Theos, which is God. So uh, Timotheus, or, I, or Timothy, as I worship God. And it's, you'll see it quite often in, in Greek language where the Greeks are using this word to talk about a particular God that they worship. They might say, I timao, or I honor Artemis. I worship Ar- Artemis, or I worship Apollo. So do you see this, kids? This is how the word is used to honor your parents. It is used also as a reference to something that is precious or very highly valued. It's something that is incredibly valuable, something that is very costly. It's something that's very highly esteemed. So listen, when Paul issues the command for you to continually honor your parents, what he's saying is that you should continually hold them as something that is very, very precious and valuable to you. Do you see? Did you get that? Your parents should be something that you look at as of high cost and of high value. And when he says that you are to honor them, what he's saying is that you are to regard them as something that is incredibly precious to you. Their words should be cherished and their words should be honored as something that you hold of great, great value, something that you hold of great importance. You should have reverence for them. And if for no other reason... Because of the position of authority that God has given them when he put them in your home. You should esteem them highly for all that they have done to bring care and provision to your lives. Think about that, kids. Can I challenge you with that? Think about all that your parents have done to bring provision and care and protection in your life. Do you ever stop to consider, kids, all the sacrifices that your parents make for you? Have you ever done that? Only when they remind you? That's how it was for me. But I mean, have you ever stopped to consider the hours of labor that they work to provide a safe place for you to live and a comfortable place for you to live? Have you ever stopped to consider the food that your parents put on the table for you and how blessed you are to have that? Have you ever stopped to consider the nice clothing that you wear and that your parents worked hard to provide that for you? Have you ever thought about the cost of the sacrifice that they make carting you from one activity to another at all hours of the day and night? Listen, kids. 
your parents make a great deal of sacrifice for you. In fact, I want you to think about this, but I believe that it's true that the most productive years of your parents' lives, they commit to training you and caring for you. Think about that. The years when they are physically strongest, when they have the greatest capacity to earn more money and to do greater things, you know what they do? They sacrifice for you. They give up their strength and they give up their time for you. They give up the greatest days and the greatest years of their lives so they can care for you and raise you up. And one day as an adult, you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow, my parents are really starting to show their age a little bit. And as you do that, I want you to try to remember that the reason that you think that is because as you were growing up, you were watching them as they were young and vibrant, given the very best of their adult years to raise you. And by the time you're finally ready to step out and do things on your own, then you begin to realize, wow, those years are gone. My parents are older than I thought they were. That's true. Listen to me, kids. Your parents are not clueless. Your parents are not stupid. They've been around. They're wise. They've experienced a lot of life. They've experienced a lot of heartache. They've been broken. They've cried and they've wept over you in prayer. And Scripture demands of you that you honor them. And Scripture demands of you that you esteem them highly and that you see them as remarkably valuable. They have done their best to point you to God and to raise you up in His training. You owe them that. You see this all through the book of Proverbs so I'd like to just show you something really briefly in the book of Proverbs, if I can. But what you have in the book of Proverbs is a parent's instruction to their children as they are passing down wisdom and discretion and, and training and all of these things that they've learned. And chapter 2 starts with a conditional statement, an if-then statement. And it begins like this. It says, my son, in chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if, here's the beginning part of the conditional statement, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. So here it is. This is the if portion. The if you receive, which is the same as if you obey or if you line up and if you'll submit to my instruction. Now here it is. If you treasure, he says, which is the same as to honor and to reverence and to value my words. Now I want you to move down to verse 5 and you're going to see the then part of the statement. It says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So I want to take you back and I want to read that again. Let's go back to Proverb 2.1. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, now down to verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Do you see what's happening here? Look at this very closely. What's happening is that the child of proverb who obeys his parents and honors his mother and father has something that is going to happen in their lives. You see, when he begins to obey his parents and honor his mother and father, then, friends, he understands the fear of the Lord and he finds the knowledge of God. Do you see? Did you catch that? This is why, friends, it is so important for you to understand Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. When you obey your parents, when you honor your parents, when you obey and honor them, you will begin to understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Do you see? This is the most important thing that I'm going to say today, and I want to make sure that you get this. Children, parents, the child's relationship with God is facilitated first by the parent. Let that sink in. The child's relationship with God is facilitated first by the parent. 
The design of God is for the child's relationship with God to begin with mom and dad. Kids, your relationship begins with your parents. Your relationship with God begins with your parents. That is super important for you to understand. I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy 6.6. I want you to just follow along here. As these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and these words, rather, shall be on your heart. Now listen. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So what God is telling us is that as parents, we are to be continually teaching our kids the truth about God and His law. Do you see this? Parents, this is important for you. God is telling us that we are to be continually teaching our kids about his law and about God. Parents, you are to be continually teaching your kids about sin. You are to be continually teaching your kids about grace. You are to be continually teaching your kids about forgiveness. You continually teach your kids the truth about heaven and about hell. You see, their understanding and their knowledge of God begins with you. The child's understanding and his knowledge of God begins with his parent. So you read the word to them when they are young. You train them and you teach them from it. You take them to a church where they will hear the word of God properly explained to them. You point them to God. Every joy and every disappointment in their young lives should be an object lesson that directs them toward God. You see? Then, now listen. As they come to the place that their minds are mature enough and their understanding is developed enough, they will begin to grow away from their parents. They will begin to move away from their parents. It's a process that takes longer for some than others. But it is at that point that their relationship with God becomes their own through their faith in Jesus Christ. Until then, they're relying on their parents. They're relying on you. Until then, the child's relationship with God comes through his parents. Do you see that? Now listen. Because of that truth, when a child disobeys his parents, listen closely, kids. When a child disobeys his parents, in effect, you are disobeying God. Let that sink in. Kids, when you disobey your parents, you are disobeying God. Because your parents are the ones who facilitate your relationship with God. When a child is disrespectful and snippy toward his parents, when the child rolls its whole entire head at its parents, he is effectively being disrespectful toward God. Do you see? When a child is ungrateful toward his parent, he is ungrateful toward God. When he is allowed as a pattern of life to treat his parents like that, he will develop into a young adult who is far from God, who has no interest or affection toward the things of God. And each generation in the Old Testament was taught to share the message of the Word of God with the next generation. Each generation was taught to share the commands and the laws of God so that God would have a people for himself all through the the ages. Now listen closely to this. Very important. This is very important. When a child rejects his parents' teaching, he is rejecting God, and by doing that, he breaks the design of God. Did you catch that? 
It was God's design that his teaching and that his law would be handed down from parent to child and from child to grandchild. And so when the child rejects the parent's teaching, he is rejecting God and he is rejecting the design of God. That is why it is such a serious matter. And in Old Testament times, it was an even more serious matter. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, it teaches us in chapter 21, this is what it says. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take a hold of him and bring him out to the elders, and then all the men of the city shall stone him until he is dead. Do you understand how important it is for you to not reject the parent's teaching? It's because when you reject the parent's teaching, you are rejecting God. I mean, why in the world would God issue a command like that? It's because God knew that if the nation were to survive as God's chosen people, it would do it through godly parenting. Can I tell you today that if our nation is going to survive with any level of morality, with any level of godliness and spirituality, it's going to do it through godly parenting. Here's the bottom line. The child's relationship with God is first through his relationship with his parents. And if he's unable to obey and honor his parents, whom he has seen, who have been caring for his needs day in and day out, how in the world is that child ever going to obey and honor God whom he has never seen as soon as he leaves his parents' home? Tell me that. Once he leaves his parents' care and protection, he will never be able to honor and obey a God he has never seen if he can't obey and honor his own parents whom he has seen. And so as the child grows, parents, you are to train him in the Word of God. He's built up and he's held accountable to scriptural demands of right and wrong. It's interesting to me that children develop, really they do develop a sense of right and wrong at a relatively early age. I mean, it doesn't take long and a child begins to understand that stealing is wrong, doesn't he? We learn at an early age that, you know, hitting another kid on the head with your toy, that's, I mean, that's not cool, that's wrong, we get that. They know that cheating on a test in school is not right. They understand the differences between right and wrong, and so we do our best to teach our kids what's right, and this is one of those things. Take a look at verse 1 again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right. Obey your children because it's right. The word here is dikaios, and what it means is it is just. It is the just thing to do. It is the righteous thing to do. It is the correct thing to do. So he's saying that obeying your parents is the right thing to do. It's like telling the truth. It's just as right as that. It's like correcting the clerk who has given you too much change and you give the money back. It's the right thing to do. We do it. We obey our parents and we honor them because it is the right thing to do. Kids, obeying your parents is the right thing for you to do. You may not always agree with it. In fact, as you get older, you probably agree with it less and less. When you reach the age of teenager, you might find that it's a violation of your rights or of your privileges. You might think that you're deserving of more respect and a greater level of freedom than your parents give you. But without regard for any of those things, I want you to know that it's right for you to obey them, whether you like it or not. It's the right thing for you to do. So even though it may offend you to do it, you humble yourselves and you line yourselves up under the instruction of your parents because it is right in God's economy for you to do that. Do you see? And I want you to know that it's always the case with God's law. There's a reward that's to be found for doing the right thing. There's a, there's a reward to be found in obedience. There are two things that I want to show you here in verse 3. If we could take a look at verse 3 quickly. It says, obey your parents and Lord. Why? Look at verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So there's a promise here. Do you see the promise? 
In fact, there's a promise that comes in two parts, and they refer to both not only the length of your life, but the quality of your life. Do you see that? It's quality and quantity of life. Kids, if you obey your parents, you will be blessed. If you obey your parents, you will be blessed. You see, when you obey your parents in the Lord, you are able to enjoy a great quality of life. Do you know that there's blessing in living a life that is built upon biblical principles and biblical values? There's blessing in that. Do you know that? And one area that comes to mind, and this is just because we spoke of it last week, is the area of employment. Think about that for a moment. The believer who commits himself to a dedicated and faithful service to his employer, working with a a joyful heart is under the Lord, the one who works his hardest without complaining, he garners favor from his employer, doesn't he? He may also be the one who then has more responsibility entrusted to him. He may receive some sort of of financial reward, you see, because he is living by godly principles and therefore he is blessed. Do you see that? Another place that I think that you see this very, very clearly is in the relationship of marriage. I mean, if a young man or a young woman will only marry a godly maid and live by the principles of Ephesians 5, and what I mean by that is wives submitting to the husband in all things, and the husband sacrificially loving and providing for and caring for his wife and for his children, if they will do that, listen closely, their lives will be filled with joy. That family will be filled with joy. There will certainly be moments of grief. There will be moments of disappointment. There's no two ways about it. That certainly will happen. But as a rule, the home will be filled with joy and gladness. When you live according to biblical principles, there is blessing there. So to continually come under the instruction of your parents and to continually obey them, kids, that will produce a greater quality of life for you. You will be blessed for doing that. The second part of the blessing that I want you to see quickly is that the blessing of obedience and honor is that there is a quantity of life that is improved as well. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. It's obviously very true, and most of you know this, that a life of sin often leads to a shortened life. Do you know that? A life of sin will often lead to a shortened life. And you see the tragic results all the time of of people who have fallen into sin and they have fallen into lives of rebellion and disobedience to their parents and to the commands of God. And some of their lives are cut short by the abuse of drugs and alcohol. There are many other tools by which lives are tragically cut short. But those who live in obedience to the principles and the godly instruction of Scripture, generally speaking, don't have to worry about their lives being cut short by behaviors like that. you understand? So there is blessing in the length of your life and in the quantity of life. So finally, I want to take you back to the beginning of our passage for today. We've spoken about two present active imperative commands to be continually obeying, continually honoring our parents, and to see them as precious and valuable. And up to this point, we really haven't addressed to whom it is these commands are issued. And so I want to share that with you this morning. Because I think one response that will naturally arise from this kind of instruction is how long is a child to be obedient to his parents' instruction? How long is a child to be obedient to his parent? And there's something in this verse that I think will help us indicate the answer to that. And so I think a lot of people are maybe asking, is there something in this verse that will tell us how, at what age you're able to finally step away from your parents' control and your parents' supervision? And the Greek language has, and I, this will be really interesting for you, I hope, the Greek language has several words for children, and some of those have implicit in them an age. So there will be one word that might mean children from the age of zero to three, and there might be another that means children from the age of five to ten, whatever it is. But in this verse, Paul uses the word tatekna, which simply translates by saying the children. So the children 
The children obey your parents. There is not implied in this term any age grouping, do you see? There is not implied in this word any age. So you would do well to think of it as addressing children as generally as you would be if you were to say offspring obey your parents. Do you see the significance of this? So we're not just saying that there is a certain age at which you obey your parents. The command is for anyone who has a parent to obey them. That's what it is. Now, the command is for you, if you have a parent, to obey them. And that applies to any of us who have parents who have not yet gone to be with the Lord. So if you have a parent, this command is for you, and it's that you should obey them. Now, if we do take a look at the passage in its greater context, and I think we need to do that, I think you're going to get a little help with this question. You see, in the passages immediately preceding the one that we're looking at today, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And then right into this, children, obey your parents. So I think that it is plain to see that Paul's intent here is to address the family unit. Do you see that? Paul is trying to address the family unit, and so I think that's what he's after. And so when you have a home with a mother, a father, and a child present, the child there is to obey the parent, you see? And so I think we can easily draw from that that when a child leaves the home to begin his own family, he then steps into the role of father in his own family, and he then is responsible on a new level. Do you see that? His parents at that point should allow him the freedom to do that. His parents at that point should no longer try to control his decision-making process. That's the point where Genesis 2 takes over, that a child must leave his parents behind and he must cling to his wife and his new family. So at that point, I think the relationship between parents and the children changes. Do you see? It's at that point where the relationship begins to change. And the parents should still be honored, of course. The parents should still be held as precious, but they need to keep their hands off. It's at that point, parents, that you become more of a godly advisor. You need to be able to accept that role. You're more of a godly advisor than anything else. Parents, you do not rule over your children for the rest of their lives. And I think as parents, we need to be careful because I believe that there's a a tendency in our own sinful nature as parents when we hear instruction that says it's right for children to obey their parents, that we then might become tempted to revel in that a little bit and to become so authoritative and rigid that the child becomes embittered. Once again, I think Paul anticipated that and he knew that that attitude might develop in the heart of the parent and that's precisely why he brings us to verse 4 and I want you to see this. This is what it says. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So listen, even though this is addressed to fathers, mothers, I want you to know that certainly by extension this also applies to you. Listen very closely to what I'm saying, parents. This instruction has primarily been for the kids up to this point, but parents, I want you to hear this. This is very important. If you cross the line in your control and discipline of your family, if you are so authoritative, if you are so smothering, if you refuse to allow your children freedom, they will resent you for that. If you cross that line, You're going to find that not only has your child grown to resent you, but you will probably have also driven him to resent the Lord, to resent the church, and to resent the Word of God. It is a very heavy responsibility to parent a child. 
And we have to be careful that we bring them up in the instruction of the Lord and that we guide them according to biblical principles to the place of personal relationship with God. But listen, parents, if you are stifling in your instruction, you will turn them away and you will find that as soon as they leave the house and as soon as they leave your supervision, they may very well rebel against God's authority in their lives. And it's as much a rebellion against you as it is the authority of God in their lives. When you guide and discipline your children, your goal is to make them humble. It's not to make them angry. When they're disobedient, you want your children to be sorry that they have violated your love. You want your children to be sorry that they violated your care for them. You want your children to be sorry that they've hurt you in that way. You want to make them sorry that they've dishonored God. You want them to be sorry that they've begun to go down a path that could lead to God's judgment and God's punishment in their lives. You want them to be sorry, but you never want to make them angry. Do you see? Because driving them to anger will have the exact opposite effect that you are going for. When you make them angry, and when you make them angry at you, and you make them angry at God, and you make them angry at Scripture, and you make them angry at the church, you are driving them away, and you have shirked your responsibility to guide them to God through your gentle and loving discipline and correction and instruction in the Word of God. You should nurture them. You should build them up. You should make them strong. You should not make them bitter. You should not make them angry. Children, your parents love you and they want to make you strong. Your parents love you and they want to make you strong. Continually obey them. Continually honor them that you may, be, that you may live long in the land and that it may go well with you and that you may be blessed. Father, I thank you for my kids. I thank you for all of the kids who are here this morning. I thank you for parents who are godly and are truly our desire in our hearts, God, is to guide them toward you. And Lord, if any of the parents here in their own sinful nature have crossed the line and if we have um, in our own sinfulness gotten it wrong from time to time, I pray that you would forgive us and help restore us. And Lord, if there are any relationships with kids that are broken, I pray that you would mend those that you would strengthen those. And Lord, I just pray for a special blessing on every kid that is here. I pray that you would humble them and that you would help them to submit to the godly instruction of their parents. I pray that you would help them to honor their parents and to see the value of all that their parents have not only done for them, but what they have taught them and how they've cared for them and prayed for them day in and day out. I pray, Lord, that every kid in this building would live long pray that every kid in this building would be blessed with a fantastic quality of life. I pray, God, that there would be every conceivable blessing stored in heaven poured out on the people of this church as they honor you with their instruction, as they honor you by obeying their parents. These things we ask in Jesus' name.